The theme for the uh, evening talk is the feeling of uh, insecurity. I had read uh, uh, recently in one of the daily uh, newspapers that if in the last decade it was the decade of uh, greed and how millions of people were encouraged if not coerced into the pursuit of more and all the compulsiveness that would accompany it, then this decade might be referred to as the decade of insecurity. And that there was a time when security, particularly work and personal relationship security, we are told, tended to stand the metal of time, that people could enter into certain fields, careers, professions, and there would be some safety in that, some opportunity to take on board a profession or an activity which, if one wished, could last for years and years. And it wasn't unusual for people to be, as in fact my father was, in the same field all his life and with one company um, for 38 years. And in the changing climate that we live under, the world of job security whether one is in the lower echelons of the work place or in the higher in terms of position and um, privilege and salary, insecurity seems to pervade millions of hearts and minds. But one can't count on the continuity of the same. And not only does that seem to be working and applying in the marketplace, but also in the personal home life as well. And when we hear and know amongst our friends, if not amongst ourselves, the, the changing dynamic of relationships, of men and women spending time together, partners spending time together, and departing. And sometimes when we know of two people and they have perhaps been together for uh, ten years, we're impressed. And all signs that what we have taken for granted, we can't take for granted in the same way perhaps that one might have done in past years, past decades. And it tends to generate, a, for some people, a kind of nostalgia for the past and that well-worn human mantra which often starts with the line, I remember when. 
And all of this indulgence and recollection of what was may not shed much light for you and I on what actually is. And it's rather concerning as people get older how easily one can turn one's attention back to the past and that kind of whisper, if not shout, of the the good old days. Just recently on the um, television there has been, some of you may have uh, watched it, I've been watching it religiously, um, is six hours, one hour per week of uh, the Beatles with the three surviving um, members recollecting the Beatle mania of the 60s and coming to their dissolution at the beginning of, of the 70s. And all the hype, and some of us were very much uh, part of that uh, culture, or as some of our teenage friends will say, well, you're just a, a product of the 60s. And words like peace and harmony, if you mention those, are just a product of the 60s. Long hair on the shoulders, are oh, a product of the, of the 60s, etc. You don't like a tie, are oh, a product of the 60s. And one can easily, Indian shirts for that matter, Russell, and <laughs> one could easily turn one's attention back to, the, to then and look upon that period of time or a certain period in that way. But as I say, it's a distraction. It doesn't tell us much about who and what we are. It doesn't tell us much about uh, the day-to-day realities that you and I are living with. With insecurity, when we come to address it within, our, within ourselves and its mode of expression, one should not forget, never forget, the potency and the power over us of what I refer to with one person in the one-to-one today, of what I call the socialised mind. That means is that inexperience of insecurity. Insecurity is what am, what am I doing with my life now, or what am I going to be doing with my life in the future? That in the, the experience of that insecurity, what easily occurs for us is that it generates and produces from within ourselves all kind of images about what security means. And quite often, security in its socialised, conventional form means ownership and possession. To own and possess is to find security. And the potency of that ideology is so persuasive upon us that the stronger the sense of insecurity is with us, the more we imagine that we'll find security through having. Not through being, but through having. And we get these messages very, very strongly from people who have a job with a good income, who have 
um, a house with a large mortgage, who have their um, insurances, insurance policies, who um, generate externally symbols of success and advocate them strongly. The car can be the symbol for it, uh, of course, and the, the kind of holidays that people have and their, their um, address, of course, matters a lot. And all of that perpetuates the mythology that that's where the secure world really lies. It's in that world. And that if we're not in that world and we're not subscribing to it and advocating it, then we are mystics. Because we're not fitting into that. And you might well have had at various times uh, a meeting or a conversation with somebody who believes that world is the authentic, true way of living. That's what the real world actually consists of. And you might mention that it's not your priority. You like travelling, you like you like uh, going on uh, 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 retreats, you're more concerned with service than career, or whatever, whatever it, 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 it might be. You don't really have any interest in going to expensive restaurants or to um, brash parties or joining the cheese and wine culture or whatever. And it can provoke very, very quickly a reaction. And the reaction that gets directed to us is we, the misfits, it gets summarised as, well, what do you think you're doing with your life? What do you think you're really doing with your life? As though this person, or person, in their circumstances, really knows. And those who have some question and doubt about it can't possibly know. What are you doing with your life? But it's such a powerful question. It actually runs deep into the human psyche. And in a wave of insecurity, the feelings and thoughts can arise. Oh my God. Maybe they're right. Maybe I should think about finding someone to marry producing children, having a good salary, taking out insurance policies and um, planning for my um, pension and cremation. <laughs> Maybe you should highlight that as the reason to be in existence. And though for each of us there are the practical aspects of day-to-day -day life, but what one sees when one probes a little bit beneath the surface of so-called affluent life. It's traumatised with insecurity. It's not a, a happy world to be in. There are all manners of fears and, 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 and worries that are taking place. It's not a symbol, nor a model, nor a reference point for where security lies. 
But in our experience of insecurity, we easily feel ourselves to be somehow out of things and therefore belong to the misfits. So when this is going on within, and then we start imagining, and then of course, as time goes by, I'm talking time in terms of years here, it's as though life and the conformity of it permits a little eccentricity with life in your early twenties. I remember being told myself when I was about 22 and hitchhiked to India, you're too old! to be doing that sort of thing. You haven't got your career together. So if I can be told this at 22, what do people get told when they're 25 or when they're 30 or 35 or 40 or or 50? So keeping the spirit of something alive inside of oneself does mean frequently the capacity in life to be able to say no to that which, in the depth of oneself, says, I don't want to fit into. I don't want to join the bourgeoisie. No objection to a home, no objection to family, no objection to marriage, no objection to uh, income or career or, or address or whatever, but there's much more to discovery and depth in life than that. And that sense of keeping that alive is vital and how easily it can be suffocated. Suffocated out of ourselves. Keep something deeper uh, alive. I remember when, if I may say for a moment, when I was a a monk in one of my more um, eccentric statements, um, how... As Einstein once commented, he said, in the world of relativity, if one could throw a ball hard enough in one direction, eventually it would come round and hit you on the back of the head. And probably most of us have had a few balls that we've thrown out at this world come and hit us on the back of the head. Well, in three sentences, when I was in the foothills of the Himalayas, in an evening talk, which is something else, I had made three comments and all three balls came and hit me on the back of the head. Um, um, Firstly, I would... um, Why I should say that such a thing then, I have no idea, but I was a monk, so you have to make allowances. Um, I would never get myself into a relationship. (laughs) Uh, That that one's long gone. Um... (laughs) The second was, um, I'd never become um, a parent. And I used to take comfort in a a line of the Buddha. He said, it's far more important in life to um, increase our understanding than to increase our circle of relatives. (laughs) Direct quote from the Buddha, it's a good one. And the the third was, I would never live in um, a suburban street. Well, if you've ever been in the instantly forgettable Dennis Road, that's where I live now and have done for 13 years. I have a a teenage uh, uh, daughter and, of course, to get a daughter, you have to be in a relationship to start that. So, 
all three, I for black and blue at an evening talk, I would never get involved in all these three, and time and place has moved on, and one sees it's not being a parent, it's not having a, a home in a forgettable suburban street, or being in a relationship. All of that can be acknowledged, appreciated, uh, loved and respected in, respected in life, but there's something much more deeper than all of that. Let not the forms of our life overshadow something else. And for some, in the very questioning of the forms, or for others, the dispensing of the forms. And there are a number of you in this room who, all intents and purposes, lead a very homeless life, that home situations often very, very temporary, etc. No anchored uh, uh, abode or those of us who have a regular form, home, child, or whatever, how easily, amidst all of that, at periods of time, the waves of insecurity can arise. Waves of insecurity which, almost as it were, asking of us, can I keep faith in that exploration and that inquiry to discover something deeper which genuinely provides the ultimate security and which is, in a way, our birthright to find and discover. So we become and need to be exceptionally and acutely aware of the voices socialised, sometimes internalised, which make us feel uncomfortable, make us, make us feel maybe I've got it wrong, maybe they, with their so-called security, have it right, and my questioning is just generating for me more insecurity, and one is caught in this world, as some of the sages have said, and not an easy world to be in, in which one can't go back with one's heart anyway to the old. One can't, one knows one can't fit in and go back to that. But one just hasn't realised and discovered that which is being pointed to. And that spiritual journey, that sometimes long night, that hardship of all, all of that can mean a loss of a great deal. For some it's the the loss of one's friend. In the period when I was um, in the East, I was there for uh, about uh, 10 years, from 67 to 1977, six of those years in, uh, in the monkhood. And when I uh, returned home, and my home was uh, in Croydon, in um, South London, as we would say there, and still do. The local newspaper, the Croydon Advertiser, uh, came round and it got mentioned to the newsroom there that the guy who was brought up in Croydon, educated in Croydon, blah, blah, had come back after years of having his head shaved and other forms of strange behaviour and had returned to Croydon. So the reporter came round and just two or three days after I got back to my parents' house and it was rather one of those wet, miserable 
May Day is also familiar in this country. And as I was walking along the road from the railway station, because I refused to let my parents come to the airport or the railway station, walking, walking along the road with my backpack, there was a guy, it was raining, out there in the garden. And he said to me, Been an holiday then? I <laughs> said, <laughs> so, Well, you could look at it like that, etc., <laughs> etc. Et anyway, the, the, having this piece in the local newspaper, the effect of it was that a number of old friends of mine who I had lost, long since lost contact with rang up and said, Oh, Chris, as he used to call me, Chris, nice to come round and see you. I haven't seen you for ten years or more, etc. And they came round. It was for once. I didn't see them after that. And it's just... <laughs> Well, that might be saying something about me, it might be saying something about them, or probably both of us. And it's like we, we talk together, and I have no interest in speaking about the party, we talk together, but the lives had moved in such different areas and different directions, and different, different values, etc., etc. And I just use it as an example how sometimes when something touches us, and it touches us uh, d- deeply in, in life, then there is a gap that sets in. And it's not always so easy to connect and communicate with people, one's feelings about life, one's forms of language, one's um, way of being in, in, in this world, all can seem a little bit odd and strange and, and unfamiliar to people who prefer what we might call a more conventional view of existence. So, all of that's part of the adjustment and sometimes part of the insecurity that goes on. With the feelings of in, in, insecurity that, uh, that arise there, that part of it, especially in spiritual terms, is that in the generating of it, that our heart and our mind, as it is doing for some people on the retreat, can generate kind of choices of, shall I do this or shall I do that? And sometimes the choices, when we look at them more carefully and attentively, it comes down to security. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, one choice that I have and potential is to opt and choose the more secure thing to do. That's what I should do. I should choose the more secure thing. And the other choice can be that if I do this, I might generate more insecurity, but I'm taking more risk. And the actual issue, do I stay with this, or do I risk for that? The actual content, the place, the income, etc. is actually less of a consideration in emotional terms than the actual do I opt for that which is more secure or do I opt take the chance for the risk of course if you ask people like me I'm going to say go for the risk aren't I because I'm like that but and if you go to somebody else and they say no no I wouldn't do it you know there's too much insecurity these days and uh, to give up 
a secure position to take a chance, I just wouldn't do it, it's not, not worth it, stay with the secure. And it's not to say one is more right or wrong or, or this or that, but I only say that according to the circles that we move in, do have an impact and influence upon us. And if you're feeling insecure and you go and wander the, wander the streets of Surrey, if, you, if anybody knows what Surrey is like, you, you, if, you if you've never been to England before, you can just imagine, wander, then the message that you will get in places like, like, like Surrey is, you can't go on living like this all your life, you know. <laughs> because that's the message that they will give you. Because they can't. I come from Surrey, I can, I'm free to talk about the place. But, and if you move in other circles which give endorsement and encouragement for people to explore, to inquire, to change, to take, to take risks, to, to live in a different way, one would get a certain affirmation there. Who we ask tends to have an impact upon us. But in the final analysis, it's our decision our responsibility for the outcome. What matters for us in life? One of the things which in spiritual circles and movements that is common was a very common state of mind is don't know. Extraordinarily common. I have never had a retreat in my life with anybody who hasn't spoken to me of themselves being in a situation of not knowing. Not knowing whether to be in the relationship or to be out of it. Whether to start it, whether to finish it. <laughs> not knowing whether to go to India or whether not to go to India. Not whether to go back to school or not go back to school. Not knowing what they're going to do with their future. Not knowing what they're doing with themselves today on a retreat. The experience of not knowing, so close and has such a strong affinity with uh, insecurity, that this feeling of not knowing not only can generate waves of feelings inside of oneself with great intensity, but also what accompanies it is huge numbers of thoughts. And And in a way, all the thoughts about, what should I do? don't know what to do, which consume the day, consume the meditations, etc., in a way is saying to us, ourselves, I can't keep myself in touch with the feeling. I can't stay with the bare feeling of insecurity or the bare feeling of not knowing. And the way that I'm trying to do is, if I keep thinking about it, it will get me away, it would create a distance from my feelings I can think, 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 shall I do this, shall I do that, shall I do this, shall I do that. But unfortunately, my thinking seems to create only a temporary gap between my thoughts and my feelings. And all my thoughts don't seem to be the answer to not knowing. I use my thoughts to try to, 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 try to know and I end up feeling worse. 
My thoughts don't seem to be the means to, to bring about a resolution of not knowing. And it's a cycle, and it's a loop, and we find ourselves pushed backwards and forwards between feelings and thoughts and thoughts and feelings and going around on this as miserable as those poor rats on the loop in the, in the laboratory. And when all of that's going on, memory comes in once again. Those people who are travelling up on the train in the morning from Surrey to the city of London reading the Daily Telegraph, they don't have all of this. They just travel up on the train in the morning. They've done it since they were left university. They're wearing, still wearing the same suit and tie. They just read the newspaper, walk into the office, good morning, when they say, how are you? They don't really mean it. They just want to say, okay, or yes, fine, well, not bad. Except to no, you mustn't ask anything more than that. That would really be dangerous. And return home in the evening. Don't they have any feelings of not knowing? Can they be so, so sure of knowing? And one can very easily, in that duality, unfortunately, launch blame and launch arrogance and conceit and pride, etc., etc., there. But there's appearances. And there's appearances with all human beings, whoever and whatever we are. The appearances say very, very little. There can be just as many thoughts and feelings of, if only of discomfort, of wanting a, a more expensive life in some way or other and perhaps not prepared to take the risk, not prepared to make sometimes the huge financial sacrifices that are required for a different order of life, etc., etc. So now looking at ourselves, our, this experience of not knowing in, and insecurity those feelings and those thoughts are part of the common currency of these kind of situations. They're not just obviously exclusive to us by any measure. They're common there. Here, we tend to talk about it more. Here, it's up front. Life isn't a secure experience as the truth of it. The fluctuations of events coming and going in our life, planned and unplanned, expected and unexpected, belong to the very metal of everyday life. And we're saying, let's live with it. Let's acknowledge it. Let's not imagine that having um, a big pension when we're 65 and an average of five to seven years to enjoy it will provide security. So in all of that, it's 
the inner life itself means that the, the normal day-to-day subtle things can produce some minor wave of insecurity. Will I get enough sleep tonight? Will there be any hot drink at 9.30 left over for me? Will I be understood if I speak in the inquiry or in a small group? Millions of small things generate a wave inside. And if we can explore and bring to awareness in those situations and a focus to those situations, perhaps we can just see it as a wave in the ocean of life. Not treating it too seriously. Not using the wave to draw the conclusion, I have a problem. But using the wave to make out of it a worry and an anxiety. If a Buddha was walking down the road and uh, uh, a Rottweiler, Rottweiler, big dog, big big teeth, was walking came out out of somebody's um, uh, garden and was barking furiously and had the appearance that any moment it was going to bite the Buddha's nature. (laughs) I'd say a Buddha would feel insecure. that he or she would feel waves going on inside as this teeth were snapping at, the, at, at him or her. For that not to be happening, it would, it would have to be a robot. It would be inhuman, unhuman. Out of the wave of sensations that can arise, can it be regarded in much more impersonal light? Life in its everyday conventional sense isn't secure. Life is an unfolding of experiences from one hour, one day to the next. Out of that unfoldment, it must include at times the experience of not knowing, the experience of insecurity, the experience of things which you and I assume to have continuity may not have continuity. And we're saying the wisdom of life is learning to acknowledge this and live with it. To live with the honesty and the truth of the nature of dependent arising of everything. And in that wisdom, in that wisdom, there is security. In that wisdom, there is nirvana. In that wisdom, there is something which is extraordinarily free. We wish to live with and discover a wise and a, a free life. Not only does it matter what we listen to, 
within ourselves, but equally who we listen to outside. And sometimes we have had to make fairly firm and resolute decisions with ourselves. But we will listen to where we genuinely believe the voice of wisdom is. And where there are voices and we, and we listen and the gut feeling is inside, the voice that I am listening to, would I like to be in that person's position, honestly? Providing one knows that situation. Would I really want to be like that? And sometimes that the depths of our inner says, no. Let me find out what wisdom is in life. Let me find out what the, discover what the security is in that wisdom about life. And as I say, a feature of that wisdom is our learning and our capacity to live with not knowing. Live with not being sure about what the near or long-term future will be. To live with insecurity in the waves of it that can arise at a moment's notice in our life. And despite the difficulty of it, take knowledge, there's something authentic about it. And out of that can come love and kindness and understanding and tolerance and acceptance and participation in life and, and freedom and trust and those deep things of life which really matter. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with kindness. May all beings be aware of the nature of things. Well, let's have two or three quiet minutes together, shall we please?